Hello and welcome to the How to Exit podcast, where we introduce you to a world of small to medium business acquisitions and mergers. We interview business owners, industry leaders, authors, mentors, and other influencers with the sole intent to share with you what it looks like to buy or sell a business. Let's get rolling. Hey, everybody. I'm Ron Skelton. I'm here today with Dana Derricks, and he is a copywriter, uh, an author, and of all interesting things we're going to talk about uh, shortly here. You're actually a goat farmer, too, right? Yes. Sure <laughs> <laughs> I've got a connection to that one. That's going to be a fun one. So uh, I always like to start off by just letting you tell your story. How did you go from, uh, I'm, I'm guessing country boy, because you, you, know, you do some goat farming, to having that trophy behind your wall to be, you know, uh, I guess you've done it a couple times, uh, you know, to, to, to have that two comma club award. So let's hear about you. Yeah, I mean, probably not much difference than different story than yours or anybody else listening or watching, but I uh, grew up on a small dairy farm in Wisconsin. And um, when I was eight years old, uh, I, you know, was milking a cow and I realized there's got to be a better way than to make, you know, to make money than this. Uh, so that inspired me to um, kind of play around on the internet, trying to figure out how to make money on the internet. Pretty soon, within a couple of years, I was making the same 20 bucks, uh, spending an hour on the internet as I would have by milking a cow. And I thought, bang, this is a lot better. So uh, lifelong pursuit of uh, just making it on on, in, on the internet. And uh, I've been blessed along the way. And I guess here I am. And now I'm adding the goats back in after all these years. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. As I, grew, I grew up the same way on a small pecan grove, 26-acre uh, pecan grove. And we had uh, goats and chickens and cows. And we didn't milk the cows or anything. We got milk from the neighbor. But... Uh, I started my entrepreneurial spirit off the same way. I was young and I wanted to work for my father. He actually had a, uh, a painting remodel business. He told me I was too young. So I grabbed the push mower, pushed it five and a half miles one way into town and started mowing lawns. When he seen I'd really work and I, you know, I've got, you know, I had the work ethic, I automatically got to become part of his. So, um, awesome. so you went from small country guy, you know, to a business owner. Tell us a little bit what you've done in the business space. Uh, you know, I kind of know your story because I did the research and, we're in the same communities, but tell our listeners kind of where you're at and a little bit about your journey. So uh, lots of things have happened. Uh, so for the most part, I've been an entrepreneur my whole life. Uh, I've never really had a job. So all throughout high school, I was an entrepreneur. I had a t-shirt company. I was selling, selling t-shirts at parties. Uh, um, and then in college, I had a, uh, a company I ran out of my dorm room where I um, had a product for uh, that wrapped cleats, um, ended up selling that company because I was playing college football and uh, the RAs and the administration kind of came to notice that there were lots and lots of books or excuse me, boxes being uh, shipped out of my dorm room and they put the kibosh on that. So that was my first exit. Didn't even know what I was doing, but sold my first company um, when I was like 19 years old. Uh, then a couple of years later, got back into it. Uh, while I was in college, I was uh, started doing copywriting um, and launched my freelance uh, sort of business. And uh, by my senior year in college, I was making $336,000, which is uh, more than the university president. Yet I was still getting lectured by my marketing professor that I wouldn't make it in the real world because I didn't take his class seriously. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then fast forward after college, um, I just kept doubling down, um, just grinding and uh, learning 
reading, uh, joining groups, joining masterminds, joining, you know, in just putting everything I could into my brain, uh, invested over, well over $250,000 outside of college. That was not helpful um, on my own self-education. Uh, and now, you know, 10, 12 years later, uh, have a successful seven-figure company. We do a ton of things, um, won a lot of awards, been featured on many things, never thought any of this was possible. Uh, a lot of people along the way told me I couldn't, uh, but thankfully here I am. And uh, I'm sure any of you that are along that path, either you know behind me or where I'm at or ahead of me, you know all too well. So that's kind of, I guess, a quick version of where I've been and where I am. That's awesome. That's awesome. And it's interesting is, um, you know, the whole story about like having a business through college. And I went to the military to pay for my college and I had a business on the side. And you were a step ahead of me because I never realized I could sell them. So when I got stationed from one place to the other, I would try to find a couple of guys that could run it, turn it over to it. It would fizzle out after I left. And I got to the new new base, the new station. I'd be, okay, what am I going to do here? Right. And, um, you know, I, 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 uh, I attribute it to my ADD. It's usually something different than I did at the last place because you know, I did that. It worked. I made some money. It was fun. Let's go find something new to do. But, uh, you know, I get the entrepreneur spirit. It's like that, that wanting to create and that wanting to, uh, to, to do that. Uh, so one of the things, you, you, you've created uh, multiple books. I, I was reading that one of your books, that's kind of how I found. I read a story about you wrote a book and then, you know, Goat Farmer writes book that sells for $2,500 a copy or something. And that was, that was impressive. Um, kind of tell us that story and then we're going to hear about the new book you have out today too. Awesome. So. Thank you. Yeah, so uh, that goes to... Uh, a lot of the things that people see, they see the awards on the wall, they see whatever. What they don't see is sort of the things that led up to it, uh, the, the gory details, I call it. So uh, that book, and, and here's the deal. If you guys are didn't catch that, uh, uh, <laughs> Ronald just said that Dana sold a book for $2,500. And if that's not, you know, like launching your BS meter, then you should, it should. So uh, here's how that happened. And a lot of people don't believe it. And that's fine. I don't care. Um, uh, I was a freelance copywriter, like I said, and I became very, very in demand. And uh, I had very bad organization and time management skills. So I ended up basically over um, overdoing it and getting burnt out. Uh, and it got to the point where I could remember, uh, being a young adult and the opportunity cost to go to a movie on a you know weeknight to me, wasn't worth it because I could make a thousand dollars in that two hour span. Uh, so it became kind of unhealthy. So I realized I got to scale this, like I can't trade time for dollars anymore. So what I did was I thought to myself, okay, well, I got 10 people a week that want to work with me. I can only work with maybe two or three. What can I do for the other seven? Well, I knew how to write. So I'm like, why don't I just write a book instead of, you know, catching a fish for these people? Why don't I write a book that teaches them how to fish? And then they can go and, you know, um, do it. So I was charging. Here's the problem. There was disparity. So I wrote the book and it was like awesome. And I thought to myself, wow, what, I'm charging $10,000 to do this for them. Why in the heck would I charge them $20 for the book that teaches them how to do it? Right. So I very quickly realized that the publishing industry is like totally out because every single thing that uh, excuse me, every book out there is priced at like twenty dollars. Why is that? No idea. Because publishers are not good at what they do. So <laughs> the point is, is it's not correlated to value. 
right? So I thought to myself, well, why would I sell that book for that price? So anyway, I uh, started selling it for $100 a copy. Uh, it sold like crazy. So I was like, oh, how high can I go? 200 kept going, 300, 400, 500, all the way up to $2,500 I found is about, you know, the top end. Um, and the best part, I mean, the, the, the best part as an author, um, not only are the margins phenomenal and it's scalable, right? Uh, but the number one problem as an author, when somebody buys your book, typically they just don't read it, right? Or it gets thrown in the pile, the to read pile, 17 deep. Now that's, why is that? They don't have enough pain. When people bought my book for $2,500, guess what they did? They camped out at the mailbox. <laughs> like, like they took the day off to read the thing when it showed up. So with that being said, that's kind of how that was inspired and born and uh, the rest is history. Awesome. That sounds uh, really interesting. I, I uh, started to think, well, maybe I need a $2,500 book. <laughs> I've got a bookshelf that's probably worth a couple hundred grand like you do. It's got all the courses I've taken over the years, right? And, uh, you know, uh, I've studied a little copywriting. That's kind of why we were in the same circles. I studied under Dan Kennedy for a while. I was in his inner circle and big fan. And I just had a phone interview with Lawton Childs uh, a few weeks ago, had him review a piece I did. He tore it apart. <laughs> I, uh, I write, I, you know, I, I joke. It's like the only copy I ever write is when I absolutely have to. And, uh, you know, and if you're not in practice and doing it regularly, uh, I ended up talking more about our business than I was their pain or suffering. So, uh, but tell us, you got a new book out, right? And, and I'm actually working on a book. I say that I've been working on it for two and a half years. The book I'm working on is called Get Rich Quick My Ass. I'm a real estate investor. So it's a lot about, you know, these over, the, the myth of overnight success. There's a lot of, you know, there's a, it's always a tough way to make an easy living kind of a story. I, from their title, I kind of, and I haven't, I haven't got the book yet, but from your title, it sounds like you're kind of in that realm. Like, I'm going to tell you the truth about a business. So tell us about the book. What is it called and how do people get it? Yeah. So actually I've got, I think I'm, I, I always lose count. There's 12 books that I've published. Um, I have basically accidentally stumbled across a way to get books written in days instead of years. Um, and I'll just spare you the whole thing. But uh, with that being said, uh, my latest book is called the truth about business. Uh, it is essentially the playbook that all the large giant companies use uh, to maximize their revenue. Uh, and it, it's really broken down formulaically. Um, it shows you how to set up your company the way that they do. Uh, it shows you all the things that are happening behind the scenes, which is where the real money is made. Uh, and this is something that took me 12 years to finally figure out. And I don't know why, but I don't, like no one teaches it. So, <laughs> you know, it took me, the $250,000 in um, education, plus the all those nights at, you know, sitting at masterminds until three in the morning, uh, you know, just mapping things out and just sitting in with the room with amazing people. So with that, um, it's called The Truth About Business. I have a copy here. Uh, it's ruffling feathers. There are people that are not happy that it was released because it kind of exposes exactly how they play the game. But uh, now it's time for you, uh, all of you to be able to play the game of business the way that the big top 1% do. It's interesting is, <clears throat> you know, I've had, a, I've had a quite a few businesses myself and I grow them all up, you know, grow them to a certain point. And, you know, the, his, the history was I get frustrated with them, sell, you know, sell them off or, you know, transfer the asset to a business partner and, you know, and go do something else. Right. 
And I got into the acquisitions and mergers world and realized that that's how a lot of these companies actually grow. They grow through acquisition. They buy competitors, they buy suppliers, they buy revenue to drive their revenue up. Uh, do you cover that at all inside of the book or any type of uh, like that model? Yeah, yeah definitely. So uh, I would say my book, it, so the truth about business kind of takes a step back and it gives you the whole kind of uh, big picture because like, uh, we kind of understand intellectually what acquisitions are and how they make sense for growth. And they are hundred percent how these companies become massive. Uh, however, a lot of people don't understand where and who, right? That's the problem. It's like, and you don't want to mess that up, right? So if you can carve out and there's like even tools in there that shows you exactly what this whole thing should look like for you. Uh, once that's carved out, then it becomes clear at exactly who you're at going after. And then even there is like, who's the end target to, to acquire you? Like, what's your, you know, finish line look like? So definitely a lot of, uh, a lot of acquisition minded, um, stuff in there. Awesome. Awesome. So how does somebody find the book and how, how do people reach out to get a hold of you? Yeah. So, uh, probably the best way is to go to, uh, d100.com. So that's the letter D 100.com. I've got tons of resources there. Uh, we've got so many things, um, that are awesome. So that's kind of our place that we just send everybody. Awesome. So I see, I see a lot of videos out there. You've, you've worked beside, or at least been on picture and video with Russell. You've been on stage at that. Um, tell us about, you know, about that side of what you do, you know, going out and, uh, if somebody wanted you to come teach at their event or are you still doing, you know, stage presence, uh, presentations and stuff? Uh, I've, I've kind of slowed down. I've got two little ones, three years old and six months old. So that's kind of gotten crazy. Uh, along with five goats, three dogs, two cats and a fish. Uh, <laughs> so leaving is harder than it used to be. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I always entertain, um, the thought of that. I prefer to have people come out here to my office in Wisconsin. We do daily consulting. We do Zoom con remote consulting. We do all sorts of fun stuff, uh, host events from time to time. But, um, yeah, I'm uh, I'm a little harder rooted now. <laughs> so, so I'm going to disclose something here. I don't think I've ever shared outside of my immediate family. So my I grew up, my family, my, my, my grandmother uh, was a goat farmer. She actually was a – she did uh, registered pygmy goats and fainter goats. And my job was to take go with her on all the shows and show her goats. So I actually was a goat shower. I would walk the little goats around and get this little stance right. And, you know, she had these permanent grand champions and stuff that she had, you know, you know won all these awards with the uh, Redbud Acres. You know, she's she's gone now, but and that farm's no longer. But Redbud Acres was, you know, Redbud Eight Acres. Uh, was, you know, well known in the pygmy goat world. But, you know, if any photos of her winning over awards and stuff, that little dude showing the ghost was me. So, <laughs> Oh, that's amazing. Wow. Uh, I don't tell many people that, but I figured you'd get a good kick out of it. I love it. And uh, you probably get a kick out of then. Uh, it's almost every, I don't do it anymore because the herd gets too big. But uh, I'm a kind of a I, I like to go to the county fair and I like to rescue. I, I'll I'll bid and try and buy the i'll try to win the, the grand champion um and then bring him to the farm so he doesn't get eaten <laughs> so, <laughs> that's cool yeah so do, do they eat the yeah, do they eat the goats i guess the meat goats they would so i've had it once before so it, uh 
uh, actually on Christmas one day, uh, I had it, you know, one of the, one of the families that I've spent Christmas with had made it, you know, barbecued with teriyaki. I just didn't think it tasted any different than any other really sweet meat at the time. But, uh, I think that's the only time I ate it, you know, only thing I, <laughs> only time I've knownly eaten it. So, well, I will, I will say that euros are pretty good. I usually opt for not, not a goat one, but you know, I've had, it. can't say I haven't. Cool. So you have you have kids too. So I have a three year old and excuse me, I have a five year old now. They're getting old and ten year old. So what do they think about Daddy being an entrepreneur? Uh, do, are they got the entrepreneur spirit yet? So my kids a few weeks ago, my kids opened a library and started trying to rent me books. So really, I'm always yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> How does that work? Uh, they took all their books. They actually you know charged me a quarter to read one of them, and then I I, I said, well I'll pay you a dollar if you'll read it to me. So uh, they they have a, a book rental thing, and then if they read the book to me, you know the you know or read along with me. My five year old doesn't read yet; she's picking up some words. But uh, if they'll sit there with me while I read it, I pay more for the books. But I totally encourage anything that's entrepreneurial. Absolutely. So, you know, I it's kind of tough. It's too early to tell. Uh, but I will say for myself growing up as an entrepreneur, my parents were not entrepreneurial. They, you know, my mom worked for the federal government for 30 plus years. My dad was a, um, uh, teacher and uh, along with a farmer. And, uh, it wasn't until like I was almost graduating college that I finally, uh, surrounded myself with other entrepreneurs because the whole, I'll tell you this. If you, if you can relate to this, anyone listening or watching, you're not alone. It doesn't matter, like, if you went through the school system, you went to college, you went, did any of it, you probably got the entrepreneurial spirit beat out of you, like, completely. That's what it's designed to do, really. Um, yeah. And so you're not alone. There were other kids in there that felt what you felt, and it's never too late. I can remember the first time I, I flew out to uh, Boise to hang out with Russell in the Mastermind, and... Uh, it was so overwhelming that somebody came up to me. They saw how overwhelmed I was. Uh, and they said, Danny, this is what happened. You, they created an analogy for me. Um, they said, Danny, you've been a, a penguin you know, your whole life. And you've been you know, walking around with walruses. They don't look like you. They don't act like you. They don't talk like you, think like you. They want to eat you, <laughs> right? And finally, you're in a room of other penguins. And it was dead on. So with that being said, if you don't fit in, which I don't either, I can't go to my grocery store and fit in with anybody. Like, like that, you know, it is what it is. I don't live in Austin, Texas. I don't have that type of thing, but you can get it and you don't have to pay a ton. You don't have to join a mastermind if you don't, you know, if you can't, I encourage it, but find your penguins. Okay. Listening to this or watching this, this is, these are your penguins. <laughs> so I should say goats. I should change the story to goats. But, uh, yeah. That, I mean, that's my, that's kind of my two cents on it. I'm a big believer. Surround yourself with just rock stars, people who are doing doing what you're doing, already done what you want to do, and uh, your environment really matters. I still hang out with some of my local friends. I'm back here in Oklahoma. I, I've lived just about everywhere. I was in Dallas last year and uh, before COVID hit, I guess almost a year and a half ago now. And before that, I mean, before I moved back to Oklahoma, I lived in California for years and stuff. And if you're not around people, you'll tend to adapt to you know, the people you are hanging out with, but it, you talk about not fitting in. I get that. Right. I'm sitting out there fishing on the weekend and, and, uh, you know, I'm on the phone, uh, with one of my friends trying to see if he wants to come out there. And he's like, well, what are you working on now? And I was like, without thinking, I gave him the entrepreneurial story. Right. 
I've got a group of people from all around the world. We're doing a $500 million roll-up and buying marketing agencies all over the planet. And they, this guy, you know, he's a great guy. I love him to pieces, but he puts up fence in the hot sun all day. And he's like, you're bullshitting me, right? They're not, no, I'm serious. He's like, how did you get into that? Like, would you, you got a master's degree. Does that do that? I'm like, no, that actually kind of that hinders the process, right? My MBA in marketing hurt me more than it helped me. So I'm a big believer in that too. I'm at 100% back up your story. Get around other entrepreneurs and, and I'll, I'll even step above. Find entrepreneurs that are a step above you and willing to work with you, right? If there are 10 steps in front of you, you're going you're gonna to probably be a distraction to them unless they're running a course or something like that, which are great to go to. But, if, you know, if they're just a little ahead of you, you know, I'd say if they're one figure ahead of you, if you're if you're making, you know, barely making five year figures, get around people making six. If you're making six figures, get around somebody making seven. Right. But the guys making eight figures aren't going to talk to you if you're, if you're not making six yet. They will. But it, it, it's t- too big of a gap. And, the, the st- and it's been so long since they've been there. Um, I honestly think that you, you really ought to be around people who are just, you know, right where you're trying to get to in your next year to year and a half. So. Definitely. Well said. And I want to point something else out that we all just heard or saw live. So when your friend, when you were talking to him while you were fishing, when your friend, you know, showed that disbelief uh, when you explained what you were doing, uh, scale one to 10, 10 being like that would cause someone to completely rethink what they were doing and not do it. One out of 10, it just bounced right off like uh, water off a duck's back. How much did that affect you? Oh, it's, it's, I just bounces off me anymore. I've been doing this. I'm, I'm, I'll be 50 next year and I'll be 50 in six months. Right. Uh, so, uh, and I've been an entrepreneur since I was probably 11 or 12 pushing mowers into town to mow lawns or, you know, I would get those catalogs where you can, you know, those things and the flyers where you sign up and you can sell junk to all your neighbors and then earn like summer trips and stuff. I sell the snot out of that stuff, right? So, uh, and my neighbors were a quarter mile apart. So, you know, when I told my mom when I was going to ride around the block and sell something, it was a 17 mile block to go around. <laughs> and there were only about 15 houses total in that 17 mile, right? So, and, you know, a lot of times you're, you were greeted by somebody coming out with a shotgun trying to figure out where you're driving down their 200 yard driveway. And they said, realize you're a kid and they leave you alone. Yeah. But it didn't <laughs> deter me a bit. So, somebody going, oh, man, that's not right. I, you know what? I get that you don't get it. And I'm around people that do. And that, you know, that's what you need. Because if you're constantly around people that don't believe in you, you're going to start believing in them. So uh, I, I, I 100% get around people that, you know, they believe in you because they've already done it or they're, or they're on the same mission. They're trying to do it. Well said. Uh, if you don't have. So, so the thing is, too, is a lot of that comes from family, obviously close friends, but it's okay. Like if anyone needs to hear it, like it's okay. I give you permission to either not talk about that topic with them, which like, I don't talk about stuff with my dad, this entrepreneur stuff. Cause he doesn't get it. Like he wants to support me, but he doesn't know how it's okay. So I just don't talk about it with him, but there are, I'll go to the even further and say that you can set boundaries with people. Like they think they are doing what's best for you and trying to protect you. But in, in if anything, they're doing the opposite of what they should be even though they're well intended. So well, I set boundaries hundred percent, you know, that gentleman knows that I, I you know, kind of tolerate the, you know, are you serious for about five seconds? And after that, I was like, we changed the topic because I'm not going to, you know, your disbelief doesn't have anything to do with my project plans. Right. Yeah. So just get out and, of the way. Yeah. Just, and, and, and it's not that they don't want to see you succeed. They just don't understand. So it's not like that. You know, a lot of people are like, well, it's the crab mentality. They're trying to pull you back down. I don't believe that a bit. 
I, I, I don't believe in that. I believe that they don't understand and they, they think you're going to get hurt or something. You're, you're taking this huge risk, financial risk, you know, if it doesn't work, you're going to be homeless. And I was like, yeah, you don't tell them, you know, I own a few dozen houses too, so, you know, from the real estate background, I'll, I'll never be homeless, but uh, they just, they don't understand. So. Right. And ab absolutely. And they're well-intended. Uh, but as soon as you can start letting that bounce off you, uh, the, the faster you're going to get to your goal. That's just the way it is. Cool. So what is your mainstay right now? What are you doing? Uh, you got the book, you got uh, your copyright. Are you copywriting again or you just got your own courses and products or? Yeah, actually, uh, right now I'm in the middle of kind of a crazy launch, the biggest launch I've ever done in my life. Uh, so we are, I have basically shut everything down. I have like five courses, three challenges, nine, 10, 11 books, uh, in the space. And I've just thrown that all into one big bundle. And then I've spent a ton of my own liquid cash to develop a software, um, that's called the dream 100 software. Uh, it helps you to fast forward, build in relationships, dream 100 Uh, if you have acquisition targets, you can build relationships with them quickly. Uh, and I've bundled that all together and it's just this one thing called the dream 100 vault. So I have simplified my business. I've thrown everything, $49,000 worth of stuff into one little place for one small fee. And that's what it is. The dream 100 vault. Awesome. I'm a big fan uh, of that dream 100. Every business I, even in the acquisitions and mergers, I own a few different businesses and I always have a spreadsheet going of like companies I'd like to bolt on. You know, I do it from the acquisition and mergers world, like list a hundred companies, uh, in some spaces, it's a little tight. It's hard to get to a hundred, but like list as many as that hundred I can get to that, you know, that I would like to bolt on, add on or be part of, and then start building relationships for those. Cause I honestly love that exercise because it gets you your awareness up. Like, you know, if I didn't do that, if I seen an ad or a picture of the owner of one of the, I, I own a pest control company of all weird things. I bought it to, to employ some of my relatives and, uh, but I want to, it's not big enough and I want to buy a couple of the local ones. So I've got all them in that dream 100 list. And then when there's an article or something post, if I notice, like, wait a second, I never noticed the owner of that's probably 65, 70. I need to reach out to them. They may want to retire, but without my list and knowing who I'm looking for, it would, it probably just slipped my mind as, Oh, it's just another, you know, company. So I think that exercise of, you know, going through and figuring out what your dream 100 is, whether it's customers or acquisition targets and stuff is a brilliant brilliant exercise i've seen it in a couple of places i'm glad that you've taken ownership of it and are helping people with that yeah well 100 percent. with acquisitions like i can't imagine trying to do it without them i don't i don't know you know you probably deploy many different strategies i i love the the you know finding a company that's not for sale that the owner's burnt out or like you said ready to retire um don't you know you give them a good price that's fair and uh, you don't have to come out of pocket. Like, I love that deal. It's a win for everybody. And without the Dream 100, that deal doesn't really happen because you're just like Dan Kennedy would say, it's just random acts, right? Whereas with the Dream 100, you're intentional about who you're trying to get, why you're trying to acquire them. Um, you have a, a specific avatar in mind uh, and it, it makes these conversations so much better and just it, it gets you where you want to be so much quicker. And you're right. You hit something on the head, the avatar, or the, uh, the persona it actually really helps with like making sure your message lands with them, right? If you've got a group of a hundred people and you know that there's similarities behind, you know, it's, it, you can actually create the marketing um, to where it just lands with 
you know, who you're trying to speak to, to where if you're like, I want any business, you know, there's a lot of guys in the acquisitions and merger space, like, what are you looking to buy? And they're like, anything that's profitable. I was like, okay, well, how do you market to that? <laughs> you know, are you PepsiCo? Do you get $50 million to throw at the next campaign? And you know, like, no. And I was like, well, then you probably get a little more specific because, you know, um, just, you know, throwing a casting a wide net, you know, also grabs rocks and weeds and whatever else happens to be in the water. So, and if there's not congruency, I mean, it's almost like you just bought a distraction, right? So, uh, that's why that's why that book it's just it's so much better when you have the picture of it but uh i think the other piece of it there's so many layers to it now if you have a list it doesn't have to be 100 but let's say it's 20 in a local town of for you for you with a you know uh pest uh control company all of a sudden you've got 19 other people that you can now dangle over this person's head okay if you don't take the deal that's fine we're going right next door to the competitor you're there the next phone call and then all of a sudden you have all this leverage because why you've taken the time to actually think through a campaign and a strategy. Right. Uh, cool. So one of my favorite questions I always ask is I've asked a bunch of questions. We've talked about a lot of things. What should have I asked? Is there something like that? Like, man, I really hope he asked me this question while we're on the call. Wow. I've never been asked that. That's a good one. Uh, <laughs> I would say, uh, I don't know. I'm always a fan. This is not so much you should have asked. I just think about myself and what I like to ask. And I like to ask about like, if you could do something over what like something specific like if you could have uh launched a or if you could have acquired a company in a whatever space in the last five years what would it have been something like that so what would be your company if you could go out right now and buy a company and it would just add to your like just just it would grow your business if you could what would you what would be that company software Software. I'll tell you what, can you help me understand other than um, <laughs> pretty much they're all pointless and you said you've got an MBA, which good for you that not many people follow through and get or good for you. However, why did it take me? Maybe I'm just dumb or late or something. I don't know. Why did it take me 10 years to figure out that different like segments of uh, different business categories have different exit multiples? Why did I build a <laughs> in a 3x multiple when I could have done one with 12? Why? And if you turn it into a SaaS, you got these guys that are crazy spending, you know, 12, 15, 20x on software as a service company, right? Uh, yeah, I get that. Um, I wasn't aware of it either. There's there's a whole other world out there. And, you know, as you start to attain wealth and get money in the bank, there's actually a private banking world that you're not even like, if you don't have three million liquid cash and you know ten million dollars worth of assets, you'll never even know it exists, right? And uh, but like, it's just you're introduced to things as you go along. And uh, uh, well, I thought you were going to ask me like a software, a SaaS question. I was like, that's the one vertical that I'm not even looking at because it's just their bidding wars going on right now. I take that. There's two: the Amazon stores. They're like that too. Amazon, like anything that uh, Amazon, um, you know, businesses that sell all their stuff on Amazon stores. Those guys are getting crazy multiples, and that's just not what I'm after. So, um, and that's why you didn't hear me say that I acquired one. I I I bought. I paid to get it developed because there's no deal in software right now. Unless you're oh, it's, it, yeah, it's it's there. Yeah, if you're selling, um, I have a friend who just bought a uh, in the acquisitions and mergers space. I'm trying to bring him in on our projects. If you're listening, uh, kudos to you, uh, Eric. Let's get you on our project. Anyway. Um, 
but he, they bought a software as a service company on an earnout type of a situation, which is a strategic, like we'll come in, we'll help you fix stuff. We'll, we'll take a percentage of it now and we'll buy, we'll, we'll obtain the rest of it over time. And, uh, you know, my first question is to what multiple did they ask for? And, uh, you know, luckily their company was in trouble cause they, uh, it wasn't as high as I was expecting, but, um, yeah, um, if there's any recurring revenue inside of a uh, software company, they want, they're going to want a 15 to 30 X, right? They're just, they're crazy and uh, makes you want to run around and create one. Or, you know, I was teasing the, uh, we're doing a mergers and acquisitions project around buying marketing firms. I'm like, we need some more tech that are software as a service. Cause when we go to sell it, we just want to package the whole agency as a, <laughs> like, why would we do that? I said, well, cause you might get 30 X instead of 12. Right. So, uh, yeah, yeah so. that's a pretty nice little way to, you know, five X your exit. Yeah. So I, uh, I've studied a lot of the acquisition mergers gurus. I mentioned Dan Kennedy in the copyright. I've done Jeremy Harbour's course and that's, you know, that's a brilliant guy. He's out of London. He, he teaches that Roland Fraser is the one that's real big on, um, buying your suppliers and you're growing, you know, if you're a, concrete plant you buy the rebar manufacturer you buy that you know and you grow and then you buy your you own your audience right and um but they all have they all the only thing they all have in common is you know switch it over to the highest multiple company if you can so roland's real big real big on buy two or three software you know as a service company SaaS's, and then now you're a SaaS and you sell it as a SaaS, right you have this marketing in that component or you have this manufacturing but your real bread and butter is the software for the industry so uh i have not tried it yet i haven't done an exit with it yet but uh it's a brilliant model to uh to for an ex for the person exiting <laughs> right and i think i i gotta fact check myself but i believe the general rule of thumb as long as you have 51 percent of your revenue is in that category that that that'll fly i believe right but it, it, yeah, so it, that all depends on who the seller and who the buyer is and what they're looking for. If you can show where it's growing to that point, like it's on, it's got trajectory, you, you can still class it there. So nice. I've seen it happen. I've seen, I know people that have, are doing exits and have done exits that, uh, you know, they class it as a software as a service and they're at 30% revenue, but it's because they just got it and it's like doubling every quarter and within, the, sure. within a year or two, it's going to overtake everything else they do. So... So the whole thing got bundled up as a SaaS multiple. Yeah. That is the game I'm trying to play right there, my friend. There you go. That's the fun game to play. So uh, I look forward to having you. I mean, I really appreciate you being here. I look forward to chatting with you again and uh, kind of getting an update on, on what you got going on, uh, maybe at a later uh, later date. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Uh, tell people how to get a hold of you. Yeah, we already said the D100.com. Uh, D is in duck100.com. What else? Um, uh, yeah, I mean, if, if that uh, thought of what I'm about to launch right now with my software plus the um, everything I've ever created in Dream 100 Vault, just go to joindream100.com. That's joindream100.com, and you can get everything for one low fee a month, and uh, you can join the journey with me. Awesome. Well, I appreciate your time, and I'm going to say goodbye to everybody.